Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Man, one of the things that I continue to be so encouraged by within this faith community is the younger generation, how teens and even elementary age kids are in so many ways leading the charge and what it means to actually follow Jesus. I often actually hear stories from parents who, who kind of readily admit to me that they had no interest, at least initially, in showing up to a place like this and showing up to church, but it was actually their child's persistence. It was their child's faith that, that caused them to begin leaning in and, and considering this whole Christianity anything. But parents, think about that, being drugged to church by their child rather than the other way around. Uh, We often hear that this next generation has no interest in God, that they're walking away from church at at what feels like an unprecedented clip, and and therefore we're all sort of doomed. But I I would challenge you, take a peek at what's happening in Grumlaw Kids. Take a peek at what's happening in students with Free and Alive, and, and I think you might just witness a different story. And allow me to maybe kind of real quick put on my call it as it is hat. Uh, When we see kids taking that step of obedience, just like we saw with Griffin to go public with their faith through baptism, it ought to be mildly unsettling to the adults who are watching right now who, who profess to be a follower of Jesus, but yet you're still hesitating to take that step. I'll say it again, if you've yet to go public with your faith, what in the heck are you waiting for? This isn't merely a suggestion from Jesus, but he's like, hey, this is a command. Believe and be baptized. I want to tell you, God is going to use your story, just like Griffin's, to to help other stories be told. It's not actually just about you. It's about all of the yous around you that God wants to impact through your step of obedience, through you going public with your faith, through baptism. So in that vein, our next baptism service is going down on November the 13th, so we're less than a month away. Uh, You can sign up for that baptism service by texting Grumlaw to 94000 and then following those prompts for baptism. Even if you just have some questions, you just want to get those questions answered, please reach out to us again. Text Grumlaw to 94000. Take that step. Stop waiting. Stop hesitating. Stop waiting for that. What is going to feel like that perfect moment. I promise you that that moment isn't probably going to come like we're going to talk about today. This is just a step of obedience. I believe in Jesus and now I'm going to go public and declare to the world that that my faith is in him, that I live for him. Again, pull out your phone right now. Text Grumlaw to 94,000 and follow those prompts for baptism. Now, as it would turn out, everything that I just said feeds quite nicely into what we're talking about today as we discuss our seventh and our final value, aptly titled, Obedience is the Win. Now, if you haven't been here for the entirety of this series, or perhaps this is your first week walking through our doors, we are wrapping up the series this morning titled, Different. We're in the series, we're answering the question, what makes Grumlaw different? What are those unique convictions that God has laid upon this faith community? What is it that sets us apart? Why did we start this church in the first place? I mean, just think about this on a very practical level. What was it that led a group of rational, hardworking people to collectively look at each other and say, let's do it, right? We're going to start a church from scratch. And admittedly, as I've been very transparent about during this series, over this last year in particular, God has been both reminding and reigniting. 
He's been calling myself and the leadership back to some of those kind of core convictions that perhaps we've kind of drifted from over these last couple of years, as well as teaching us some new stuff. And so there's been some stuff that if you've been around here for a little bit that's felt really, really familiar. While there's been some other stuff in this series that feels like it's taken an increased level of importance over the last year in particular. Those seven values that we've been unpacking are belong before you believe, we uphold biblical truth, contagious joy, live generously, we expect God to move. Last week we talked about assume the best and obedience is the win. Now, as mentioned, today we are entering into here the final week. And so if you're new around here, it's, it's safe to say, well, you've missed maybe just a little bit. But have no fear, you can always get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab those podcasts. And I think this is probably more important than you maybe realize, especially, again, if you're new, if you're just kind of starting to explore as you're considering, hey, am I, I got to lay down roots here in this faith community. This series, really more than any other series that we would do, really gives an accurate picture of what we're all about here. So again, if you have not been with us for the entirety of the series, make sure you go back and get yourself caught up. Now, in part one, you might recall, uh, we spent some time unpacking how and why the pandemic was so disorienting for just about every single person in this room for a lot of different reasons. There's, in fact, very, very little in our lives that wasn't impacted, some positive, some negative, and, and the church was obviously no different. Now, what I didn't get into a lot of detail on back on September the 11th, which is where we started this series, was, was why. Why specifically was it so disorienting and so discouraging for people like me, people that do what I do for a living, pastors of of churches? Now, now I'm not going to try this morning to speak for every pastor, but I will say I was in pretty regular communication with with guys that do what I do for a living during that period. And and as it would turn out, we, we were all pretty well aligned in this area. That period was especially jarring for us because, well, we didn't know if we were winning. I know, shocking, but just like you, I I do have a desire to succeed. When I was in medical sales, I wanted to outsell my peers. I want to be the best parent that I can possibly be. I want there to be evidence of my incredible parenting and and how my children behave. I, I want to win in my marriage. I don't want Andrea and I, my wife and I, to just barely be making it. No, I want us to thrive, to truly be better together than we could be in isolation. This drive, that desire, it exists inside every single one of us. See, the truth is, nobody wakes up and thinks to themselves, well, today I I hope to be average. I hope that I maybe just fail a little bit today. I hope I fail in my job today. I hope I fail at school, in my parenting, in my relationships. No, no, we all want to win. We all want to to succeed. Now, now for some of you, admittedly, that's, that's been beaten down and Perhaps you're living right now in this kind of perpetual state of, of failure and you've grown in at least some capacity to accept it. But, but come on, even you would admit right now that, that you'd like to flip the script on that. We're going to actually help you get to that end during this message. We all want to win, and admittedly, I want this church to, to win, to, to experience success. But, but along comes a pandemic, and overnight, we, we, do, we don't know if we're, we're winning or maybe better stated, the metrics we used to use to at least partially measure success, to at least partially measure winning, that they were taken from us. As much as pastors will try to claim otherwise, we sure do love our numbers. The number of people that we have in groups, the number of people who are baptized, the number of kids checked into children's ministry, the percentage of people who are serving on teams, the average giving per person, and then, of course, the holy grail of all of them, Oh, 
the weekend attendance. Well, well, guess what? When you're not allowed to gather in person for an extended period of time, in some cases like literally over a year, where do you suppose those numbers go? I have, I have an image here. Straight down the toilet, right? None of those figures were positively impacted by the pandemic. And, and so back to my original sentiment, we didn't know if we were winning. Or perhaps more appropriately stated, we felt like we were losing. Now, I, I promise this morning, this is not group therapy. My intention isn't to share with all of you my deepest insecurities. I promise the silver lining, the connection is a coming. See, now with the benefit of hindsight, we, we recognize something about ourselves. And when I say we, I'm speaking primarily about other pastors, people who work for churches, who, who get their paychecks from a church. And it was something that, mind you, far wiser men and women than me had been declaring for years. You are placing way too great of an emphasis on your precious numbers. To which I would have always nodded kind of my head in a subtle agreement, but now I'll just kind of openly declare, amen. That is, I've always logically believed in that sentiment, but previously I behaved as if I wasn't totally convinced. Numbers, to be clear, are one tool to look at how we're doing, but they aren't the tool. That is, there's a lot more that we ought to be paying attention to in addition to, again, our, our precious numbers. In fact, God himself would remind us all the way back in the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible, that the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And when we think about numbers, that's that's very much outward appearance stuff. It's like, man, that looks good in a report, and that, that feels good as I tell those numbers to my friends. But, but God here and, and elsewhere, he makes it very, very clear that, that that's not what he's about. That, that's, just, that's just not what he's concerned with. So, so the logical question then is, is, what is then the heart stuff as we look inward at this faith community? How should we then define winning if it's, if it's not the metrics? What is it that, that, that makes one church get applauded by God and God smiles upon? And, and what is it another causes God to turn his face away? How do we know, in fact, where Grumlaw stands? If we're really accomplishing God's mission here on earth or, or if we're merely making people more comfortable on their way to their eternal damnation? And so, alas, we come to our final value, uh, obedience is the win. Church, to be very, very clear, this is how success is measured in the kingdom of God. This is how each of us will be held accountable come the end of our lives as we stand in front of our creator. In fact, a very, very simple three-word question, was I obedient? Was I obedient to wherever God called me, to, to whatever he asked me to do, to, to whatever he asked me to give up, to, to whenever he nudged, to whenever he prompted? Did, did I listen to that small, still voice or did, did I tend to ignore him? Was I obedient? This will be the measure of each of our lives. This is is ultimately how success is measured in the kingdom of God and consequently how success, how winning will be measured in our churches. But, but, but here the conflict, the tension, and, and I'm not even gonna get this resolved this morning, I'm just admitting this, 
the, the, the tension, the conflict with this is that we can't measure it, right? For, for instance, we're never going to know how many marriages were saved as a result of being a part of this faith community. We're never going to know the number of students who saved themselves sexually for marriage as a result of those teens being involved with Free and Alive. We're never going to be able to count the number of friendships saved, the number of friendships restored as, as a result of living into the way of Jesus amongst a community of believers in Jesus. We can't measure the financial stress that didn't plague a marriage as a result of being a part of this community. That There isn't a number that we can point to for any of that stuff. Here's the reality. You could have a church of tens of thousands of people in one of the hippest cities in America who, who very religiously meet together on a weekly basis. But if those tens of thousands of people aren't being obedient to where God is leading, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Conversely, you could have a church of 30 people out in the middle of nowhere, but yet every person in that faith community is recklessly following Jesus wherever he leads. Which faith community do you suppose God is smiling upon? He's not looking at the things that people look at. He's not impressed with the weekend attendance or the flashy state-of-the-art building. He cares about your heart, my heart. Are you willing to, to follow him? Are you willing to move forward in obedience? Now, in one of many, many, many instances, Jesus teaches on this exact subject. In fact, the teaching that we're going to be looking at this morning, it comes at the end of a rather lengthy sermon that Jesus offers to this crowd of people. And its, and it's placement at the end, it, it matters. He, he intentionally puts this particular teaching at the end of the sermon as to say, hey, if you don't listen to anything else that I just taught, listen to this. That this is of greater importance than everything else that I just spoken about. He puts it at the book end because he's like, hey, again, you don't hear anything else, make sure that you hear this. He addresses this crowd of people and he says, hey, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And you can almost sense the frustration in Jesus's voice right here. See, when you refer to someone as your Lord, that's not merely a name, it's a declaration. It's sort of an admission to the order of things. Hey, you are the creator, I am the creation. I am submitting myself to you because you are my Lord. And Jesus' point here is very, very simple. Many people call him Lord, yet they're not doing what he says. They profess him with their lips, but they dishonor him with their, with their actions. See, Jesus invites us into a faith that believes in him, not a faith that merely believes about him. See, see, any, anyone can say that they believe about Jesus, but, but it's through a faith that is rooted in him that we see evidence of that faith, that we see evidence of that faith in how we live. As we often frame it around here, it's the difference between merely believing and, and following. And around here at Grumlaw, we'd like to think that we're in the following business. Or back to the words of Jesus, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? We're in the, we're in the doing business. Let's just say you got pretty sick and 
you know, a lot of sicknesses are going around right now. I know if you're anything like me, my kids, we just can't seem to get them healthy and it gets passed on to you. And you initially do probably what, what I would do, right? You, you, you take some pills over the counter stuff and you hope it just kind of goes away that your body just kind of takes care of itself. But you're like three days into this and you're really not getting any better. And then it's day four, day five, day six. And you're like, you're, you're actually getting worse than you were on day one. So you finally do what most people would do in this scenario. You, you go to the doctor and you go to the doctor and he or she runs a bunch of different tests on you and, and eventually they come to a very firm conclusion. This is exactly what is wrong with you and here's how we're gonna treat it. You need to fill this prescription, take one pill a day here for, for the next week. And, and so you leave the office and you're excited because you got the diagnosis. It seems like the doctor is really confident about what's going on. So you go fill the prescription and, and the physician says, hey, after a week, after you take these pills for a week, come back and we'll check up and make sure that everything is okay. So you fill the prescription, you leave for that week and you come back and you walk into the office and the doctor says, hey, how you doing? And you're like, I'm terrible. I feel just as bad as I did a, a week ago. And he, he's kind of perplexed like that. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what, do you, what do you mean you feel worse? Like that, that's, that's crazy to me. Did you, I assume I know the answer to this question. You took the medication, right? And you're like, no, no, I, I didn't actually take the medication. I filled the prescription, but, but I didn't actually take it. I just, I just didn't really feel like it. Like it, it felt like a good idea, but ultimately I, I didn't really want to do it. That, that, that doctor, 100% of the time, is going to lean into that and go, well, why did you come to me in the first place if you weren't willing to follow my counsel? Church, this is important. Let us not allow our minds right now to start racing towards those who aren't sitting here today. To, to those who don't claim Christ, to, to the person that's perhaps sitting next to you on the couch right now. Well, let us instead look at ourselves. How many of you, in particular, professing Christians are operating exactly like that? That, that, that you call him Lord, therefore placing yourself under his authority, but, but yet you continue to ignore his commands. You ignore the very, very clear imperatives written in Scripture. You ignore the nudges. You, you ignore the promptings. You explain them away. It, it's kind of like going to a doctor when you're sick and then not paying a lick of attention to, to his or, or her recommendations. Now, now, for those of you who are new to this whole church thing, and some of you are watching right now, you're just starting to explore I want to make sure that, that you hear me very, very, very clear on this point. It is by faith and by faith alone that you are saved. Scripture, Jesus himself, makes this very, very clear. I, I do not want you this morning to get a twisted representation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that, that, that good works is somehow going to earn you a spot in heaven. No, it is through faith alone in Christ alone that you are saved by simply placing your faith, your belief, your trust in Jesus, that he is exactly who he claimed to be, that he died for your sins, but then three days later he rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death, and, and along with it, your sin. It, it is through faith in Jesus alone that you are saved. But upon placing your trust in Jesus, he longs for you to be more than, than simply a believer. He, he, he invites you to, to follow him. And, and I want you to hear this. That comes from a place of love. See, Jesus loves you way too much to, to leave you the exact same way that you were before you found him. So, so he invites you, not merely into something different, but but into something better, a better way of living, not just for you, but, but for all the people around you. It's a life spent obediently following him wherever it is that he leads. 
which will, again, it'll be better for you. It'll be better for the people around you. And, and if you're watching right now and that feels like a catch, let me propose something to you that I remind this church community of all the time. It's not blind trust. Rather, Jesus has proven himself trustworthy, and, and now we ask you to trust him in return. He, he, he proved just how for you he is when he gave his life for you on a cross. Now he says, hey, well, will you trust me? Will, will you follow me in return? It's not nearly as lopsided a transaction as our world would often lead us to believe. No, no, he's proven that he is for you. And, and the more you exercise that trust in him, the more your faith grows and the more willing you're going to be to take steps of obedience in the future. And so I'm pleading with you, don't fall for the lazy angle of, oh, I knew it. There's a catch, the old bait and switcheroo. Sure, I got to believe in Jesus, but then he's going to ask me to do a bunch of stuff. No, 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 come on. You're smarter than that. He has demonstrated that he can be trusted. So, so, so trust him in return. He just kind of leans in and says, hey, why don't you give me a shot? After all, hasn't your own life sort of demonstrated to you that, that your way really isn't working? And, and Jesus leans in in those tender, those gentle moments, and he says, that, that's exactly why. Hey, come, come follow me. Give my way a shot. J Jesus continues in this teaching, and he says, I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then, important, follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. This is what it's like for the individual who follows Jesus, who is obedient to wherever God's leading. When the storms of life come, and as we all know, they're all going to come. Every single one of us are going to experience those. Some of you, you might be in the middle of one of those storms right now. He says, hey, when those storms come, you will stand firm. That is, you'll have what is often proves to be that, that indefinable quality that you have seen so many times in other people, and you're not even sure if you can get it for yourself, but you desperately want it. It's that peace, that calm, that contentment. That even when life seems to be crumbling down around you, you're, you're like, they're just, they're okay. I mean, after all, it might be hunting for just that that drove you to come walking through our doors today. Where do people get that from? Jesus would tell us. So many of the lives in this faith community would testify to this. It comes from those small, what will even sometimes feel like insignificant steps of obedience. Daily, deliberate, intentional steps of obedience to where God is leading. Where the default response isn't, okay, God, I feel like you might be leading there. I'm going to take three weeks to pray about this, and hopefully I'll talk myself out of it by that point. But instead, instead you take that approach of like, man, it sure feels like God's nudging. It sure feels like he's leading in this direction, and, and it lines up with Scripture, so I'm just going to take the leap. Years ago, I was challenged through a sermon I was listening to to start living by the 51% rule. And the communicator talked about her about 20 years before that. He had started living by this rule where if he felt like 51% sure God was leading, God was nudging, he just started taking the leap. And he's like, I can confidently attest to all of you now that after doing this for 20 years, it has literally not a single time bitten me in the butt. 
I operate on that 51% rule, that 51% sure God's leading in this direction, and obviously if it lines up with Scripture, I just do it. Church, I'm committed to following my, my Lord, being a doer rather than merely a listener. Because, well, if, if you're just listening, anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it'll, it'll collapse into a heap of ruins. You're smart people. You could put two and two together. These are the non-obedient people. These are just the, the listeners. And what's interesting, right, is the houses on the surface, they look the same. They both go to church. They both live good Christian lives. But, but that, that foundation is completely different. One has been building on those daily intentional steps of obedience. And the other's foundation, it's, it's faith, it's, it's fragile. Trust hasn't been built because faith hasn't been exercised. Faith is a muscle. If you don't exercise it, atrophy takes over. You become fragile, easily thrown about by the storms of life. As his character is revealed by fruit, so faith is revealed by storms. Church, you begin to practice obedience now so that you can survive the storm later. That's not some cliche church speak. It's called reality. Let us be a people who don't settle for sand. Obedience is the win. And here's the reality. Here's where I want to tie a bow on this. It's going to look different for just about every single person in this room. Obedience looks different from person to person. And one of the amazing things about God is he rarely asks us to take a step that is exceeding where we're at in our faith at this point. God didn't ask me to start a church when I was graduating from college because he just knew where my faith was at that point. He knew that there was no way I would say yes to that. And frankly, there's no chance I would have been ready for that. Obedience looks different from person to person. I took some time this week to just write down some examples of, of steps of obedience that, that I've seen people take, that other people have shared with me in this faith community. There's a staff member who recently shared with me um, that, that she said really up to this point in her life, and she's in her 30s, that you know, up to that point in her life, like when people asked like, how she was doing, she would just kind of always give that cliche answer. And even those individuals whom she was closest to, at best, she would give them about 60% of what was actually going on in her life. And she just felt like in her quiet time, the Holy Spirit was saying like, hey, it's okay. You can open up. You can be a real person. You can share about like what's actually going on in your life, in your marriage, with your parenting, with your job. Like actually open up with people. And she shared with me that over these last couple of months, She's actually put that into practice. She's been obedient to where God was leading in that way. And she's just been opening up with those people who love Jesus, who she knows want to breathe life into her. And she's like, my goodness, it has opened up relationships in ways that I would have never otherwise experienced. And she's like, this I didn't see coming. It has opened up my relationship with Jesus in ways that I would have never experienced before. It might be like I heard a young adult at our church. He was recently working out. He goes to the same gym every single day. And he just felt like one day when he was working out, there's a guy next to him that he doesn't really know very well. And he felt like God was saying, hey, just invite that guy to church. And, you know, he's sweating as we often do in those scenarios. We overthink it, but eventually he works up the courage. And he's like, okay, hey. And he invites this guy to church. And that guy, as it would turn out, would end up walking through the doors that exact same week. It might look like a lot of our high school students right now 
Uh, we've seen kind of this influx of, uh, of high school students in particular saying yes to serve on teams here at Grumlaw. Again, another one of those testaments that younger generation kind of leading the way that we have all these high school students serving in particular back in Grumlaw kids and even amongst free our, our, our middle school ministry. Uh, last week, we talked about having those IC and U conversations, and somebody pulled me aside this week and just shared with me that they were like, hey, I had that conversation with a, this week with a person I'm in a group with, and, and they welled up with tears. It was this emotional moment. They said that nobody's ever said anything like that to them before. It might look like it was about six months ago. I was uh, standing on the stage after service, kind of grabbing my laptop and tidying everything up, and uh, there's a woman who's been coming to our church now for a couple of years, and when she first showed up, she was truly one of the most timid, introverted people that, that I've ever met in my life. And, and through what Christ has been doing in her, she's just opened up and just become so much more confident as a true woman of God. And I watched her. I witnessed this with my own eyes. I watched her walk up to a person. I could literally overhear what she was saying. She, she walked up to a stranger that she had never met before and just said, hey, I felt like all during worship this morning, God was clearly telling me to, to have a conversation with you and just pray for you. Would you mind if I did that right now? I, I like had to pick up my jaw off the floor as she took that step of obedience. It might look like, again, a young adult who I've known about for a year at this point, he's been playing the comparison game and he's admitted to me that social media has just kind of been toxic for his life because he's always comparing himself with other people his age. And obviously on social media, you only get the best and the, the, the perfect versions of people and I just leaned into that, and I was like, you know, what might God be saying to you then about social media? And the next week he came back, and he's like, I, I just want to let you know that I deleted social media from my phone. I felt like God was clear as day asking me to do that. And I tell you, this has been one of the most life-giving weeks, not going on social media every day. It might be like a conversation I had again about six months ago with a guy who'd been only coming to this church for a little bit. Faith was pretty new to him. And uh, oftentimes he said that, you know, when the generosity buckets would come around, he'd feel pretty guilty. And so he would tip. He'd throw the $20 in there, the $5 in there, and would make himself feel better about himself, at least then for, for a moment. And, and every single time one of those generosity moments would come, he's like, dude, he's like, I, I don't think I've ever heard from God before, but I got to tell you, there was just this conviction that, that God was saying like, hey, are you just going to give me a little piece? Or are you going to give me like, like a true tithe? And he's like, and then we listened to that series, The Blessed Life and all that kind of stuff. And it was just gnawing at me. And I looked at my wife and said, I think we're supposed to tithe, which for them, they, they do pretty well for themselves. That was a big jump to go from like $20 a week to suddenly a true 10%. But about a week after that, he came to me with this big old smile on his face, and he's like, we did it. We're starting to tithe. We know God was asking us to do that. We don't even know how we're going to make it work, but we're just trying to be obedient to where God is leading. It might be like this last round of baptisms that we had. There was a woman in particular in her 60s who had been very, very reluctant to take that step of baptism, in particular because of a spouse that was basically unwilling to come to church. And she kept kind of using that as the crutch of like, I'm not going to get baptized because I only want to get baptized if my husband's going to be there. And over time, it just kind of became clear. It's like, obviously, she's still praying for that guy every single day, but she's like, I'm using this as an excuse at this point. And and she finally took that step again in her 60s to go public with her faith through baptism. Hopefully you're seeing the theme there. It's going to look different from person to person. But, but whatever, wherever God's nudging you right now, my challenge to you would be to, to take it. And, and maybe you're new to this whole thing. And you feel stuck perhaps. And you don't really know where to start. We have this thing called the Grumlaw 7. These are these banners that we have all over our lobbies. We talk about this stuff all over the place. And uh, the reason we put these all over the place is we believe that everybody's next step is probably somewhere among the, the Grumlaw 7. So if you're like, I don't really know what that next step is, maybe it's one of these things. Maybe it's weekends that, 
For some of you, again, you're just starting to explore. You just begin to come back on a more regular basis. Just keep coming back. Keep moving closer to God. Keep stepping further into this faith community. For others of you, maybe it's, again, a challenge that I've been issuing to this church where you don't leave it to chance how many weekends you're going to miss here. Where you as a family, as a couple, as an individual, you sit down and say, how many Sundays am I willing to miss in a given year? And you stick to it, but you make these weekends a priority. Maybe it's that daily encounter. Or again, for some of you, you've literally been a part of this church thing for years at this point, and you just can't seem to get that one right. And I would just kind of bluntly challenge you, when are you just going to start setting your alarm 15 minutes earlier and giving God that first portion of your day where you maybe just read a chapter of scripture a day and then you just begin to pray to him and just share honest thoughts and, and feelings? That's where a relationship with Jesus is actually going to be built. For some of you, we don't really shy away from talking about this around here. Is it generosity? It's not because we're after your money, but no, Jesus himself tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And for some of you, God's been prying on this for, for again, years, and you've been very reluctant to give it up, where you're going to make that move again from a tipper to a true tither, giving God a percentage of your income. It's a part of a plan. But we were saying, God, you know, you've given so much to us, so we are going to give a percentage back to you. Maybe it's getting to a group. We just had our group season come around and over 60% of this church is, is in a group. But some of you, come on, your, your attendance has already started to get spotty. And maybe even taking it a step further from there where you could make this group where it's just something that you show up to on a week-to-week -week basis and you get to know some people maybe at a deeper level, but it just becomes a thing in your life. And you can actually choose to be vulnerable and open up with that group of people and take that step of obedience and actually tell people how you're really doing and in turn place yourself amongst a group of people where it's like these are become lifelong friendships these become people who walk alongside you in the good as well as in the bad maybe it's maybe it's serving where again all the time we, we, we challenge the people within this faith community make make the move from a tender to owner we don't merely just show up here and sit in these services each week and take in and consume but you say how can i contribute to what God is doing through his church. And for all of us, I think at least at some level, it's sharing. As I often put it, sharing your side of the story, that despite that person's terrible experience with church, maybe their poor experience with God, you're just sharing your side of the story. You're attesting to what God has been doing in your life. You're sharing your faith. You're inviting other people into this faith community. And you might have noticed I skipped over that one. For a lot of you, I'm confident it's baptism. We have that next baptism service coming up here on November the 13th, and, and you've been waiting for that, that precise moment. Again, that perfect moment where you're going to decide, okay, the clouds are going to clear, and God's going to deliver a word straight from heaven, and that's when I'm going to go public with my faith. Church, I'm just going to say this very plainly. This is just a matter of obedience. Jesus didn't put this as optional. He said, believe and be baptized. Not believe and then check these 20 arbitrary boxes that you've invented in your head. No, believe and be baptized. Will you be obedient to what Jesus has already clearly commanded us to do? If you have not gone public with your faith as an adult, and you might notice I often put that caveat in there, because so many of you were baptized as kids, as infants. That wasn't your choice. That was mom and dad's choice. It's time for you to take this step. And so again, I invite you, text Grumla on 94,000, follow those prompts for baptism. We're going to move into a little time right now that we've intentionally carved out. We just want to give the Holy Spirit room to speak to us. And I'm begging you, wherever you're watching from, please don't wander away. Don't go fill up your coffee. To Take this time to just pray a very, very simple prayer. Heavenly Father, what step of obedience are you asking me to take? Where are you asking me to trust you? 
Remind yourself that, that he's a good dad. He, he wants what is best for you. He, he wants more for you than you can possibly imagine. And, and so, again, he's inviting you into something better. It's, it's a life marked by obedience to wherever he leads. Whether or not my heavenly father looks at me and says, well done, my good and faithful servant, come the end of my life, it's going to hinge on how obedient I was during my time on this earth. Let that be how Grumlaw is measuring success. Stories of sheep taking small, at times seemingly insignificant steps of obedience. Where we're looking around and watching with our own eyes, faith being built as we don't merely listen, but we do. People moving closer and closer to Jesus. Jesus.